Hey there, welcome back to another episode of MVP Business, where we showcase leaders who live through their mission, vision, and passion. I'm your host, Steph Silver, owner of Vine Collective, a marketing, branding, and coaching agency where we help businesses to connect with customers and employees and to navigate their personal journeys to overcome challenges and rise to the next level of their work, home, and spiritual lives. This episode is part of a local series focused on Wimberley Valley organizations in partnership with Wimberley Valley Radio and brought to you by Ozona Bank. Today's guest is Chris Green, owner of Wimberley Films. Thank you for joining me today. So happy to be here, Steph. I'm happy to finally have you on here. We've talked about this for a while. Too long. (laughs) Absolutely. So, Chris, let's start with you telling us a little bit about who you were before you were Mr. Film. Oh, my goodness. Going so far back. Where do I even begin? I've always been Mr. Film. So, I mean, it goes back to, man, I guess when I was five, probably six, seven years old, picked up my first video camera. So, I kind of tell, I'll tell that story. Neighbor of ours had probably one of the first VHS cameras that anybody had, or I felt like, because I'd never seen them before. And this is when you put them on your shoulder, wore the beta, big, huge hard drive, or not hard drive, but battery to power the camera. So, I mean, this was like, and I have pictures of myself. I'm like, they're probably four foot tall. Yeah. Looking up everybody's nostrils. But for some reason, he trusted me to shoot his kids' birthday parties, block parties, whatever, because he could actually be in the video being a dad and wanted to be part of his kid's birthday party. So he trusted me to do that for some reason. So I guess I had an interest. So he wanted me to help. So, and I was able to do it and it looked great. So that was the beginning. So, I mean, we could be here forever. I could just recount all this to different milestones and different things that kind of paved the path for me to be where I am today. But my grandfather got a video camera. I think it was about 1991 and it was his for probably a month and then became mine. So my uncle bought it for him for Christmas. He knew I wanted to take it. I wanted to use it every time I was at their house. I was making a movie. I was shooting something. And so eventually it just became mine until my parents bought one about a year later, I think it was. And then I was just off to the races. So when you had those first cameras, did you edit and have fun with the footage as well? Oh yeah. So I, Got two VCRs. It's the only two VCRs that we had in the house. We'll hook them up. I take the one out of my parents' bedroom. My dad comes home and wants to watch the latest episode of Dallas. And where's the VCR? Oh, Chris got it in his bedroom. So that was fun. I'd make short movies, home movies. Did Romeo and Juliet. I was Romeo in my freshman year in high school. So that was a lot of fun. Everybody loved that. So I'd cut in little parts to the original movie along with ours. And I mean... Back then, that was an easy task. I was going to say, so now you have Final Cut Pro and you have everything's in digital. What was editing like back then? You have, did you have a computer program? Oh, no. It was just, it was literal. I mean, it, it's called analog. Yeah, you start and start. You have a play deck. You have a record deck out of the play deck into the So it wasn't deck. much different than when my brother and I would like do our own play radio show between the two of us yeah. with our like tape deck. Yeah, no. I mean, it's just like making a mixtape, but it's visual. And you'd have to have two TVs too, because you have to see what the original footage is from the play deck and then what you're actually recording. And to back those clips up against each other was not easy because you've got, I mean, it's analog. It's a VHS tape. That's why you see from one cut to the next where it just kind of jitters and shakes around. I mean, it was not easy. And I did this when I was in film school too at UT. And even though we weren't supposed to, do edit, edit it we were supposed to edit in camera which means literally take one shot stop recording go to the next shot start recording so yeah i tried i should say to do it analog but i had to end up getting on the computer to do it so i mean this is like at the infancy of adobe premiere back in 99 yeah i was gonna say because i started taking rtf in high school around 96 and i happened to go to mesquite nevada and it was a really well-funded school system so we had really awesome cameras and like state-of-the-art at that time video editing tools it was still two decks but we had a computer system that you could it was much closer to what we now know as editing right tools. but i mean the format that you were shooting was analog so therefore you had to take the tape and put it into the deck you had to then capture it in real time to the computer 
and when I started shooting professionally, that's what I had to do as well. I mean, there was no digital. I mean, it, they called it mini DV as in digital video. I mean, it technically was, but it was still on a tape. It was still on an analog format. So, I mean, you we go didn't know wedding. what digital was. No, but, no yeah. not, not the way we knew now, but I mean, I'd shoot 10, 12, 20 hours at some weddings and then with you know, 20 tapes and then have to go back home or my studio and then literally one tape at a time, one hour, two hours, record to a dedicated computer that had the, to capture the video to a file. So it's, yeah. things have changed quite a bit and I've seen it all. Gosh, I wouldn't, I'm like totally jumping ahead in my mind, but so, okay. So you got into filming the first time you saw a camera basically, and then you took classes and you went to school for it. No, I didn't actually. So we kind of back up just a little bit. I've always been in visual arts. So if it wasn't a camera, it was art. So I've always t- had that in me. My mom would say that I was just a little kid and I'd pick up the yellow pages for whatever reason. I think that's kind of odd. I'm thinking about being like a two-year-old. She said, I'd just flip the pages, magazines as well, and just like looking and trying to read. So I was always coloring. I was always doing something with my hands, art, color pencil, paint. I mean, every medium you can think of, that's what I was doing. So I mean, that was my exposure to art before I ever really got into filmmaking or photography. Then my mind's kind of going all over the place. So I kind of want to hit certain topics. But it was that training, that background in the visual arts that, I mean, really paid the path to where I am today to be able to visualize before executing. That's part of being an artist. You have to visualize the end product somehow or you even go to execute it. I mean, I don't know how else to put it other than that. Like a storyboard artist, I mean, you're coming up with ideas for a shot before you're ever setting up a camera or putting actors in front of a in front of a screen. So, I mean, that takes talent in knowing your lenses. And it, this could be like a series of podcast episodes itself just to kind of talk about that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So that was what I was thinking of earlier is the most come across the results of the hours and hours of film and editing and production. And they'll see a two hour movie or a 30 second commercial or even I was going to mention you did graphic design for a while as well. So you look at ads or like you mentioned, you're looking in the magazines and in me being in advertising, sometimes a client will say like, like, why did that take you guys so long? I could have done that in an hour. But a big part of it, right, is what you started when you were two, dissecting what's already existing in the world and then your own mind transforming that into a visual that you figure out how to produce or reproduce. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but it's taken you, again, those years of understanding your tools, your camera, your lights, your editing tools, understanding all of that to know what's possible. So as a graphic designer, there's the same level of understanding all of those tools and then trying to communicate what's in your head onto the computer or paper. As a videographer, it's there's so many more levels of complication. You're like, where am I going to put the light? Where are external light sources coming from? How's the sound going to work? Who's looking at who, when? Yep. And I, when I, is Stephanie going to get that. wild with her hands? <laughs> <laughs> I know you have to account for everything. I think about that whenever I shoot a wedding and I think and I see a photographer working. I'm like, man, their job is so easy. And I'll talk about that as, as well because I did probably more weddings as a photographer than I ever have being a videographer. And a lot of people don't know that about me. But, I mean, they don't have to worry about the multiple camera angles. Like you said, the lights, there's just so much involved with video that people have no concept of. If they were to sit down to actually learn it and watch somebody go through the process, they wouldn't do it. It's maddening. It really is. I mean, we'll get into the Texans films that I produce. and. It's a weekly job for that six weeks. Is, if they're fortunate enough to get to the championship game, that's six weeks of my dedicated time, honestly, to get there. Well, that's capturing and editing when I say that. But I mean, it's a full-time job between capturing it on the day of being the whole day. And, I, and we're going off on another tangent. But Well, I, that was one of the things that I was going to mention about the difference between the different mediums of what I come across every day, which is the artistic mediums of marketing 
because you have the design of the static designs, you have photography, and then you have video. And both photography and video, there's a whole separate editing side that people don't see that is hours and hours again of you like huddled over the computer in a dark room and you're like space. (laughs) And sometimes that can be like two or three times or more as much time as the actual capturing. Oh, easily. So how let's back up a little bit and you went from kind of teaching yourself and doing I'll go back video a bit for fun. Kind of like just my foundation. So, I mean, everybody in school knew me as the art guy. I was the kid in sixth, seventh, and eighth grade that got art student of the year all three years, and they thought it wasn't fair. Won numerous awards for GoTex and art. And then it came to going to high school, and I had was faced with a decision because I had two options. One to go to, and I was in the Alding School District in the North Houston area, so that's where I grew up and went to school. So my two options were go to a magnet school in the Alding School District that had an advanced visual arts program, which was very hard to get into. Like a couple hundred students might apply and only like 15 or 20 get into it. I can do that, which I did get into, or I can stay at my school where all my friends were, where I could play baseball, which was another one of my passions. If I wasn't going to be an artist or the next Steven Spielberg, I was going to be a baseball player. Or if then if that failed, I was going to be a baseball and many people would you tell me that. You have a good radio voice. Yeah, it's what people would end up saying years down the road. You could have done that. You have a voice for radio. So I chose the hard route, which was to go to the magnet school. I think it was my parents basically tell me that was the best way to go. School advisors and counselor, of course, saying that's what you need to do. That's your future baseball. Come on, you're not going to make it into the major leagues. I'm like, yeah, I can. So that's what I did. It was hard. It was really hard because... It was an advanced program for art specifically, but also it wasn't a formal teaching environment. It wasn't the traditional teaching environment where a teacher is up in front of the classroom teaching. Every class was module-based, so you were self-paced. You were in a self-paced class. You did the work on your own, which was really hard for me because I needed that student-teacher interaction. I, I needed to see a teacher in front of the board teaching the class. It was just so hard for me to do, be dedicated to sit there and do the work on my own. And I got behind. I had to go to summer school my freshman and sophomore year. So it was always a challenge. And I was a straight A student all the way through middle school. I didn't make a B, I think, until my eighth grade year. And so I was a great student. And my brother used to call me goody two shoes because I would always make all the high grades and he was like struggling. So that was tough making that decision. And obviously I made it through. I succeeded and I graduated at the top of my class and got a full time full tuition scholarship to the Art Institute of Houston because of it. And the awesome thing about the story is I was able to go back to my home school, which is what they called it, junior and senior year. So I was still able to go back with my friends and I was also able to play varsity baseball my junior and senior year in high school. So that was pretty great. So So you missed two years and you still were able to so maybe you would have been the next Babe Ruth. Well, they changed the rules, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, I don't know. But I mean I could have walked on for U of H. I said I could have done that. Maybe had Jose Altuve played back then, I would have had that driving passion and ambition to do that. I know you're not a sportster, so Jose Altuve is the Astro second baseman. He's like he's shorter than me. He's like five six, probably five five. So but yeah, I'm a big baseball fan. It's awesome. You need to come out and watch Miles, my boy. He's a slugger. So then that's awesome. You got to have that junior, senior year experience and still have that foundation. And also, I really like the self-paced model because it does teach you a lot. And it's so much of work and owning your own business is 100% self-paced. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it did lay that foundation. and I got behind and I had to learn from that to there's a sacrifice, there's a punishment. And my punishment was I couldn't go and go to baseball camp or I couldn't go visit my grandparents in Oklahoma and because I had to go to summer school and I had to go to summer school straight through. It wasn't like session one and session two, I could just go to session one. I had to go to both of them and take two classes each session, I think it was, to make up for the fact that I didn't finish the second semester and it took me a whole school term to finish one semester. I mean, it was really bad. I still thinking back, stresses me out thinking about it. <laughs> but silver lining is that I was made straight A's through summer school. All that transferred to the ability for me to graduate at the top of my class. 
along with all my gifted and talented art credits, were, which were all A's. So I graduated at the top of my class before. I mean, because of it, but not that it matters now. But that was an accomplishment that I want, that I sought for. It was really important for me to graduate magnum, well, how do you say it? Magnum, magna cum laude. Yeah. I didn't, so I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I did National Honor Society, all that stuff. But anyway. And then what came next? I went to the Art Institute and it was a visual art, a visual communications degree. And again, graduated at the top of my class. I was number one. And from there, it was like, what do you do now? It's like, I never saw myself being a graphic artist. I was like amazing at it. My portfolio was awesome. Ever, I got awards. My drawing from that I did from my junior or senior year in high school, I can't remember what it was, went on to hang in George Bush's office in the Capitol here in Austin. Rumor is he took it with him to Washington, D.C., with him there. So, I mean, I had all of these awards and all these accolades behind me and everybody's like, you're going to go far. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. Maybe you will be a Hollywood director. And I'm like, yeah, but my foundation is visual arts. I don't have any training. I didn't do anything video related. I mean, back then it was totally different. It's, you didn't have the tools that you have now. I mean, even when I graduated high school, I mean, what was video? I was yearbook photographer and all my art was in the yearbook. And had there been a videographer back then, I would have done that. But it's just kids today don't know how fortunate they are to have the tools that they have to make movies and just to record memories. And I had to go about it in a totally different manner. So I was faced with, do I want to be a graphic artist? Do I want to just get a nine to five job being a graphic designer? Do I want to go back to school? Do I want to go to get my, and this was only a two-year degree. So I mean, this is 98. I graduated, I was 19 years old and still not knowing what I wanted to do other than I knew that graphic design was not my future and I wanted to do video and photography in some way, but how to get there, I didn't know. And so I, I had to figure that out. So I don't know if you want me to continue, but uh, so I went to the community college there, which I ended up teaching in years later. I was a great student in middle school. I was an okay student in high school. The classroom environment just wasn't for me. I just knew it's like, what's the point of me taking these classes when I know that this isn't going to help me? I should be in art classes. I should be studying video or film or doing something like that. Why am I here? And and my grades reflected, ended up dropping out having a girlfriend and doing that. And so that kind of sidetracked me a little bit. And then she would later help me get my next job or get my career started, really. So we went to the Art Institute of Houston where I graduated, went to the counselor or a career advisor, they called him, and asked him, is there any job leads? Is there anything open? And he said, oh, yeah, well, we just got one that came in for the Houston Arrows hockey team. I'm like, okay, never heard of them but it's a professional at sports at school. Okay. And so he sent my resume over. I think he got a call back that same day and had an interview set up, I think for the next week. And then within two weeks I was hired just based on my portfolio from college, which was great. But I mean, it had nothing sports related. I guess the marketing director saw something that she liked and felt that I was the man for the job and I got it. So, and that just kind of paved the whole path for me to end up where I wanted to be. Did you know where you wanted to be at that point? Well, I knew I wanted to do film. And of course, the whole thing was, I always wanted to be a Hollywood movie director, or I wanted to just make movies. I mean, I didn't know what it was going to take to do that. And I was too shy, too reserved, too, I guess, younger, even younger in my attitude or my desire to, to live that life or go off on my own to make that happen. And I guess I was so reserved and I took I don't even know how to word what I'm trying to say, but I was so down on myself as no, I guess I didn't have the confidence. Sorry, I'm trying to, I'm lacking the words to say. I didn't have the confidence to just take that leap. It just wasn't in me at that age to do that. I've learned to do that a lot more over the years, obviously. It was just 20, almost 30 years later. And so I don't even know what your first question was, where I was going with that. Well, the question was, did you know what you wanted to do? How did you get, so I'm transitioning now, how did you get from that first job in, in sport? Was that video in sports? No, it was graphic designer. I was, their, oh, I was okay. their lead graphic designer. I was their only graphic designer. They had never hired a graphic artist before and they were just won the championship for the IHL. And so they're bringing me in on a championship team and now I'm having to create all their everything, their 
magazine, their every sign, all the signage, everything in the compact center at the time, which is really huge. This is a that's exciting. It was exciting. I mean, it's my first job. I mean, like literally, I never. I mean, never. And I was 22 years old. I never had a job before. Okay, I say I hadn't had a job before. I mowed lawns. I did artwork on the side. I had that entrepreneurial mindset, and I grew up in that kind of household. My dad owned his own business. He was never home. He worked a lot. So that was always ingrained in us. And I say us, my brother and I. So I worked and I worked hard. I just never had that corporate nine to five job. So I didn't bag groceries. I didn't wait tables. I didn't do any of that stuff as a kid. Most first jobs, that's what you're doing, you know. So I mowed lawns. Gosh, I probably did about 30 a week. Got me through college. Paid for my first computer. Paid for gas. Did all that. My parents would help me with a truck and made payments for that. So I mean, everybody said you were... People have told me in the past that you were handed everything, and that's not true. I had to work for everything, and my parents helped me do that. And so starting with the arrows, I mean, that was just amazing experience. I got paid nothing. I literally had a cot in my office because at the start of the season, right before the season started in October, there was just so much to do. I had to do the first magazine, the, oh my gosh, billboards that were all over the city. That was my artwork on billboards all over town. So it was designed the whole marketing, everything from really concept all the way through production. It was all me. And I mean, this is looking back, I'm like, man, that was a lot to throw at a 22 year old straight out of college to take on a job like that. And I even talked to Pamela to this day, the marketing director. And I think, how in the world did you entrust that with me? And she's like, you had the talent. I knew you did. And somehow I did it. I can't even imagine having that level of going from not seeing your artwork anywhere to seeing it all over town. That's really amazing. Even now, I'll see stuff that I've done or artists that I've worked with in town, and I'm like, oh, we did yeah. I just like, get excited. I can't imagine doing that at 22 and seeing it everywhere. Yeah, in a big city like Houston. I mean, it was pretty amazing. So we pick up where we left off there. What was great about that job is led me into video. I never dreamed that it would, but it led me into meeting the right people that would allow me or help me to get my business started. So every front office staff member that worked for the Arrows had a game night responsibility. Now, there's a lot of games. I don't know much about hockey, but hockey, a hockey schedule mirrors like what an NBA basketball team what schedule would be, which is 82 games a year, 41 home games. This is 41 home games from like October through April. I mean, like this is two, three games a week. I mean, this is a big, huge commitment and I'm making hardly any money at all. And I'm having to actually go to the games as well after working at the front office in the front office during the day. So my responsibility was to oversee the director in the production room, direct and control cameras for what everybody saw all over the arena. So you go to a arena now and you see all the television screens, the big screen in, in the stadium, and then all the concourse screens, that person was directing all that. So I had to oversee that person to make sure they were doing their job because I would communicate with the game ops staff. And they would say, okay, make sure he's, gonna, he's ready for this. Okay, tell him this is where this person's going to be. So I would communicate that to him. The poor guy wasn't doing his job. And I knew it. And I was like, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. I can do way better. And so he would go on break. He was like eating his chips and his soda and like just making a big, huge mess. He didn't take his job seriously. So I'm like, hey, why don't you just sit over there and eat your chips and your soda and I'll take over for this quarter, this part of the game. He's like, cool. I don't have to do it. So I literally cut the game. He had nothing to do with it. Like, and then word got out. It's like, hey, what's, look, everything looks so much better. This is happening and we're on cue and like, what's going on? And this is the game ops saying, I was like, I'm taking over. This guy doesn't know what he's doing. I didn't say that in front of him. So I ended up getting that job. So the Houston Rockets and the Comets then hired me to do that as well for them. Were you done with graphic design at this point? No, no, no. I still have my full-time graphic design job with them, but this was my game night responsibility for the Arrows. Okay. So I had to do this in addition to... You said you, you ended up getting that job, so you just continued to do it, but do it full-time and he lost his. And you didn't get paid more or you did? No, I didn't get paid more. No. But it was a great experience. I mean, because it led me to actually do build to do the same thing for the Rockets and the Comets as well. So basketball, NBA. 
I am going to pause right here and say that the theme of this last week and what I have heard from a lot of business owners and what I know for myself is that the business owners that I know to be successful and a lot of the people that I have interviewed have been willing, not just able, but willing to do the extra crap work, to do what's necessary, not only for your own personal training, but your experience and to just do what's necessary for the job. So I'm pausing to say this because I've heard so many people, young people or people that have been in business for the last 10 years or so, and the excuse of that's not my job or that's not in my description, sometimes that's necessary to bring up, but it all depends on what your end goal is. And if you want your organization to succeed, number one, and if you want to grow your skills is what I'm looking for. And you want to get promoted in any way, shape or form at all. You have to be willing to do work that's outside of your original expectations. And some of that is just stepping in without being asked like you did. And that was a passion of yours. Sometimes it's not a passion. Sometimes it's, oh my gosh, the guy spilled all the chips. I'm going to go ahead and sweep that up so that it doesn't make a bigger I'm mess. I'm here to assist him anyway, so shouldn't I just wait on him? So right? I might yeah. as well. Yeah. So I just wanted to like hammer in that point because that's something that comes up on a regular basis and I don't always point it out, but it is so necessary. People have started their own business because they started off sweeping the floors or whatever. So be willing to do that extra work and learn a skill, get to know someone and go above and beyond. And that's how you get above and beyond. It's about opportunity. And I was presented with an opportunity and I took advantage of it. I knew video was what I wanted to do. And I'm coming into a graphic design job, never thinking that I would end up doing any kind of video, anything video related. And here I am thrown into a the task of directing video, so which was a God thing for me because exactly I'm being handed. It's being handed to me. Why not take advantage of where I am? And that led to opportunity after opportunity. And I was thinking about this before I came here today and thinking about just the things that have been put in front of me over the last 30 plus years and thinking, did I take advantage of those opportunities? Did I step out of my comfort zone to actually go beyond to advance my career or to advance myself in general to make me a better person? And I feel like I did. Of course, we all miss opportunities and it's just part of life or decisions that we make, but firmly think that I've taken those opportunities and made the best of them because as I would have never worked for the NBA, the WNBA, the Rockets and the Comets. And then by doing that, I also worked for national mobile television and ran camera and was a TD, which is the person that runs around with the camera op and coils cable. And, but I learned all that and I met a lot of great guys in the process that worked and had their That was their life. That's what they did. They did video. It was sports related, but they did other things. But it was those guys that second shot with me when I decided, you know what, this is not going to be my career path in graphic design. I'm going to do video and I'm going to make it happen. Of course, most videographers start with weddings and that's what I did. Those guys that worked for national mobile television that I got to know because of the fact that I took that leap of faith working for the arrows, they shot with me. I learned from them. And the rest is history. Did you start doing weddings while you still had a job? Was it a side gig or did you just jump? It was. Well, it's kind of hard because I started with the Arrows in 99. So this is June of 99. I started with them. I knew that I wasn't going to be there forever being in a graphic design position. So this is a really hard decision. So I ended up only being there as a graphic artist for a year. And then I decided that I did want to go further in my career. I didn't want to do graphic design. So I applied for the RTF program at UT and started at UT that that next year, the next August. Again, things get in the way, obstacles come in our, you know, we have obstacles to face and I sliced open my hand here, opening my television on the first night that I moved into my apartment in Austin. So that was a setback where I had a cast. uh, It was just a big old mess. I couldn't write. I'm starting college, taking four classes. I can't even hold a camera. What the heck? This was my dream to be here in this program. And I was lucky enough to actually get in. I mean, that was hard enough right there. I didn't end up staying, unfortunately. But even though I was still living in Austin, I was still driving back 
for every single game. So I still kept that role for the next three years, actually. I was only in Austin for a short while, but I still made that commitment and I commuted and I, and I was there for every game and to run video for the Arrows of Rockets comments. And it was in the middle of that time frame, probably around 2002, actually was 2000, actually 2001 that I started my first business and it was Green Productions, actually Green Jam Productions. Shout out to Caesar. He's still my good friend. And it was part of his last name as well. And that didn't last, unfortunately. So it became only Green Productions. So that was the start of my venture into wedding videography and photography. And really it was video. That's all I ever saw myself doing is video. It was, photography was kind of like one of those side things. I loved it. I didn't have a real passion for it. I mean, especially back then, there was no digital. It was all film. It was a big learning curve. I took photography classes in high school and did really well because I had a vision for it, a vision just for composition and lighting and whatnot. That's always been there, but that came from my, my video background. So when did you move to Wimberley? We didn't come to Wimberley until 2019. My family, my wife at the time, we were contemplating staying in the woodlands, which is where we lived. And the hustle and bustle, it was just so busy. It was growing. Schools were okay, but it was, we really wanted to downsize, go to a smaller community somewhere where the, maybe where we had some property, where the kids could be kids and still be in a good school. So did a lot of research to figure out where we wanted to move and just took that leap of faith and found Wimberley along the way and visited and just knew that, just fell in love with it, honestly, and moved here in February, January, February of 2019. So I met you right about that same yeah, time. Yeah, right, right about there. And that was just after you finished the first set of films for the Wimberley Texans. Is that right? Or were you still working on it? I don't remember exactly. I think that's how I came across you. Someone oh, yeah, recommended, yeah, yeah. I was asking for a local videographer and someone mentioned that you were doing all this beautiful work and I looked at both your wedding portfolio and commercial and the Texans were definitely on there. So yeah, I mean, I registered WimberleyFilms.com before even moving here. It was It just boggled my mind. It blew my mind that there was nobody here really in the area that was doing anything to the caliber that I was doing and could do. And actually, I mean, I had corporate jobs and passed over the fact that I was a college professor for 13 years in the middle of that. So I did the corporate route. I stopped doing weddings for a period of time because the kids were little. It was just so much, too much of a commitment to work every other, every Saturday when they're so little. And that's when you have baseball games and that's when you want to go on a trip or do something. So that just became something that just wasn't going to work anymore. And I didn't care what I was doing with video. I just wanted to do video. I just wanted to be a filmmaker. And so I got into business films and really that was, became a real passion of mine. I took an online course, taught myself a lot, cinematography related to doing that kind of work, which just, it was just, I was a natural at it. It was just very easy. I've always wanted to tell stories and that's all it is. It's all I do now. It's telling a story with emotion to communicate a message. And that's what I do for businesses now. And it's, it works. I mean, that, that's the heart of what you want to do as a business is tell your story and what you need to do in order to communicate your message. And, and it's a very powerful thing online now to be able to do that. Yeah. So why do you think that video is so important for businesses? Because naturally, that's just how we interact with the world. I mean, we watch a video, we're putting ourselves into that video. So, I mean, a photo can communicate a lot. What do I say? If a photo is worth a, a thousand words. Well, what is a video then? If you think that there's 24 individual photos per second, it communicates a lot. But not only that, it's the music, it's the storytelling, and its story goes back to forever. Yeah, exactly. We've always told stories and we gravitate to that. I mean, like, that's what we're doing when we go to the movies. We're, le we're trying to, we're leaving our, our life to become part of that movie for two hours, and it's story. We all as humans gravitate to story, the Bible. It's story. It's all stories. And so it's only natural that we use that same medium to communicate our message today. I mean, it's the way of the world now. Everything's video. What's the best use of video in business right now? So myself being in marketing for a long time, if anyone invested in video, it was five to 10 minutes 
about us slash testimonial and you had fucking heads, what should video be now and how should it be used? What are you finding is most effective? Well, I teach this still and I say teach because I mean, that's what I'm doing when I'm working with a business, but teaching them what's going to be more most effective and it, it's strategic. It really is. But our attention spans are so small these days. And that's why micro content is so powerful because if we're scrolling through our feed, we're not going to sit there and watch something for more than 15 to 30 seconds, maybe even a minute. That's why TikTok is so popular. And then, of course, Instagram has taken that into their own platform. And YouTube also with YouTube YouTube shorts. shorts. Yeah, I mean, it's cross-platform. Facebook reels. Exactly. So, I mean, everybody's doing that. It's But I think really businesses are not taking advantage of this. And I read a statistic the other day that really 95% of businesses aren't doing this. I follow Gary Vaynerchuk and I've watched his content for years and years. And he's been at the forefront of everything, predicting the future as far as technology is concerned. If you don't know him, you need to go online and look him up. And he's been saying it for years. You need to be producing five, 10 pieces of short form content daily if you're a business, documenting, not necessarily creating. So don't think about it as in, I've got to create something. I've got to make something that doesn't exist or tell a, you know what I mean? Like you're not making a movie when you're not trying to create something that, that out of thin air, whenever you're making this content, you're recording what you know, you're transferring to the end user or the audience, what it is that you Okay, you're communicating that message, you're communicating that knowledge, and that's all they ever want to learn about anyway. They just want to know what you can do for them, how you can enhance their lives or how you can resolve their problem. And that's what businesses are all about, making what you need easier. You have a problem with your air conditioner. Well, you're not going to do it yourself. You're not an HVAC expert, so therefore you're going to hire the professional to do it. And you just simply need to communicate your knowledge. And that's all that is. And your personality too, right? So one of the things that I continually communicate with clients is that a big part of social media is building a relationship and a relationship isn't built on sales. It's built on communication of who you are, what your personality is, the personality of your teammates, the personality of your customers, the personality of your location. So it's It's not that you have to get your product on camera all the time. It's not that you have to have a call to action to buy a certain thing. It's engaging with your community of potential customers and people who care about what either other people who are like you, people who want to be like you, people who want the service that you provide. So marketing is so much less about how can we create that unique campaign that is going to be a year-long campaign and Don Draper put all the artwork together at the very beginning and it just rides. And it's more about getting your personality and your clean and clear personality of your organization out there in front of your audience on a regular basis. That's so true. And also sharing the stories of the past clients that have wonderful things to say about you. That's also important. That's a a lot of times the thing that's overlooked and not utilized because there's so, I mean, if you're doing your job as a business and you're succeeding, that means you have happy customers out there that are willing to participate to help you succeed as well. So they're willing to share their experience. And if they are, get it on film. Yeah, because a written quote, you can't trust. Like, oh, this was the best product ever. They were amazing. Okay, you could have written that yourself. But, have- but you're also communicating that passion that for the work that you did with that testimonial. And if you make those people feel comfortable on camera, which I think I have a knack at doing, then you're going to translate to your future customers what you can also do for them. I mean, what, think about it. I mean, we go to buy something on Amazon. What are we doing? We're reading reviews, right? We trust those reviews on Amazon. Look at those four stars. Exactly. So if you can do the same thing for your business, but do it and communicate it through video, I mean, that is so much more powerful even than putting yourself in front of the camera and, and communicate and talking about yourself. Because let's say you mean people aren't going to necessarily trust you either, but when you combine that with also the testimonials into a three-minute film that communicates the everything about your business and what you stand for and what you can do to solve a problem or help their business, then 
that's what you need. And that's what we call the brand message film. So when I create a video strategy, that's what it is that we're doing first and foremost is creating that brand message film. So the brand message film is one of the things that you do. And then you're also because so people who have seen you at, for instance, a Texan game, they know that Chris Green is like a superhero that can be in multiple places at one time. (laughs) I mean, I've seen you do it when you did the St. Stephen's film, when we did, you did for Debbie Silver. Sometimes you're a one man show with five cameras and a drone. And somehow it's like you watch the film and you say, was there an entire crew there that we didn't see? But you capture in one day enough film to last for a long time. So you can create that one business story film, but also from that, you create all this additional material that can be used for social media. That's right. Because I mean, if I'm there and I say we're, but you know, generally speaking, it's me and maybe an assistant, we're capturing everything. We call it B-roll. So if you're not familiar with that term, it's a film term for the extra visual content that supports the story that you're telling. So it might be you on camera and whatever you're talking about, but to support what you're saying, you need to be able to actually see that in action as well. And that's what the B-roll is. So by capturing all that, you can repurpose it. You repurpose it towards your micro content, which is the short form TikTok, uh, Instagram Reel, or YouTube Shorts. All of that serves a dual purpose. So we might only be shooting for a day, but all of that content can be utilized months and months. That's what everybody doesn't understand, that it serves a greater purpose. And we do shoot a lot. And I am able to be in, like you say, three or four different places at once, but it comes down to the vision as well, knowing what it is that you're going after and having that story, those visuals in mind before you even go into it. So we've just talked about some of the products or pieces that can be used and you're kind of superhero over the place capturing of film and of the what I like to call like the magic of the moment. I keep saying that when I describe you because that's really what you do in capturing. And then obviously you turn that into whatever product is necessary or that the client or customer has asked for. So the art of what you do is awesome. Building and running a business is a totally separate part of this. So being an artist, I personally feel like if you're really good at your craft, you're an artist no matter what. Like there's an art to it. But when it's actually art, it's so much harder to sell. And especially when it doesn't seem like an essential part of a business. Like you don't need this in order to create your product. I'm in marketing, so I feel like it is essential to get the story across and to like set yourself up and above your customers and to get in front of your customers and to communicate with. That's another piece that we didn't talk about is not just selling yourself, but to communicate, to train, to educate, to answer questions. But how hard is it to have a business that is your craft? Like as an actor, you're selling yourself constantly. As an artist, you are literally selling yourself and also producing the work at the same time. So how hard is that, Chris? That's probably the most difficult thing I've ever been faced with, trying to sell myself. I'm not one to boast. I'm not one to sit and say, you need to come with, you need to buy this from me. You need to buy my services because I'm the best. I may think that, but I'm the worst at trying to communicate that by far. And business has been, always been a struggle for me. I mean, because like you said, it's, if you're an art, you can produce what it is that you love and have a passion for, but trying to sell it or run a business is completely different. That's you don't go into business thinking about running a business. You just go into that business thinking, I'm going to make all this pretty stuff and everybody's going to love me for it. It doesn't work. That you have to actually run the business. And that's a lot of times why exactly you have to sell yourself. And I feel like that's just been one of those things that, that you don't ever stop studying or figuring out as a business owner. And I feel like I'm the worst at it. And that's one of the reasons why I started doing the Texans films. I had no idea how I was going to get myself in front of the community to let everybody know that I'm here. I want to serve you, but I needed to show them what it is that I could do. And I saw a friend of mine 
fellow videographer in Austin that he had produced a couple of videos for his local football team. And I'm like, they were very short and it was nothing like I'm doing. But I was like, man, if he can do that, I could put my own spin on it and make it way better. And I approached Coach Warren and obviously Wimberly ISD first before I got to Coach Warren and proposed that I shoot the homecoming game. And then he called me in and said, hey, you want to do this for the playoffs? I think we have a great team. He didn't say it, but I know he was thinking it. We could go all the way, and sure enough, they did. And I was there to document the entire journey, which was absolutely amazing. And I'm doing it again this year. And you're doing that for free. Absolutely. And yes. A lot of people don't know that because they're such highly produced, beautiful pieces of work. And you're doing it on your own. And it's like multi-purpose. It's one to capture what this community is all about. Because it's not just the football team. It's oh. like that's the magic of fans and the parents and the kids and then there's that part of like getting out and like meeting people and saying hey this is what i do and also showing what you're capable of and i think that's good and bad because then people are going to pigeonhole me as being the video the sports video guy i don't know what it is but i've never been one to just toot my own horn or say i can do it all but i feel like i can and i have i can produce content that's cross genre I mean, you started in wedding. Yeah. I mean, that's completely different than shooting sports. Live action. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but it's about telling the story and how are you going to communicate that message and shooting the football films and, and putting that together. It's fast action cuts. It's lots of drums and highly emotional you know, music, depending on the tone on our team this year, like blowing out their opponents. So there's no drama to it. It's just like real highlight reel. Whereas when they won in 2019, it was like, close games drama down to the finish and and that was a totally different feel for those films but i made that happen it's just not like cutting shots together and just throwing music on top of it it's nothing like that that's why it's so hard to come up with a storyline each week and i'm still grappling with what i'm going to do for this week and i've got two days to produce it and finish it and but i see that as a challenge i see it as a it's fun i think being that it's a challenge And I love to take on that challenge. And I like to push myself to come up with something different and creative. I think that's what kind of keeps me going forward is that I just love the craft of what I do and uh, and challenging myself to make it better each time. And somehow I have, I don't know how it's a God thing. I swear to God, music just like falls in my lap. The inspiration, I think we're all gifted with a talent from God. And I think I was given that talent to do what I do. I know I was. And it was just a matter of how do you make that happen? How do you make money from it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's yeah, that's important too. Yeah. I mean, that's my thing as well. And then there's the combination of because you're selling yourself as a business, as a producer, when something happens in your life that pulls back your confidence, then it pulls back your confidence in business and kind of constantly trying to put yourself in front. Because I talk to a lot of different business owners. And most of the time they have a staff and they have a product or they have a storefront and the business can kind of sell itself at some point. But when you're a designer, a photographer, a videographer, or like me, a strategist and a coach, it's 100% up to your confidence that day, whether you can sell, like you can produce the work, but selling it on a regular basis when you have like life happening is something that I think a lot of people take for granted. So in all of this, what's been the biggest lesson that you've learned? Never stop. Just to never stop. Keep after your dream. Keep after your passion, no matter whatever obstacles are in your path, to stick with it. I could have gone so many different routes. I could have taken the easy way out and stayed a graphic designer. Or a professor. Or a professor. I could have gone back to school and finally gotten my four-year degree and my graduate degree to be able to be a professor. And I I still plan to teach in some fashion, in some regard going forward, but don't know yet where that's going to take me. But I know that's what I still want to do. So I've never stopped knowing that I have this talent and I have to utilize it. I have to fulfill what I've been given. And my dad says he's had this vision for years that he sees me on a podium accepting a award for filmmaking. And I'm like, it made me tear up thinking about it. But I mean, like, even now I'm like, how am I going to get there? Do you believe it? I do believe it. Then it'll happen. 
With having a run a passion-based business for a while now, what advice would you give to someone who is not in the place they are currently earning their income from their passion, but they're thinking about taking the leap to start their own business? That they're not currently, what now? Say again? They're not currently in a place where they are, they're running their own business, but they're thinking about making that leap. To stick with it. Even if it means having a full-time job and having that passion project on the side, you know, if you're working nine to five, you have your family commitments in the evening, what's to say, I've had to do this in the last three plus years since moving to Wimberley. I mean, even before that, but I mean, really in the last three years, having to really buckle down and be there for my kids on a full-time basis. And the only time I would have to work and even produce these, the films even three years ago was to work from nine to four in the morning and get two or three hours of sleep and then go right back at it all over again. But it's possible to have those dreams and to make them happen, even if it means you have to sacrifice your sleep, but to have another job, but then still get to where you want to be by still putting in the time. It's about putting in the time. That's really what it comes down to, having that mindset to know that you can do it and just committing to doing it. And I've had to learn that the hard way. Over and over, over again. And over I again. think that's another lesson that is really important is that like you take the leap and you think, aha, but then <laughs> something else jumps in like COVID and then all your work's taken away from you and then you have no money again and you're right back to where you were two years before that. Or yeah. there's a, a personal health crisis or there's yeah. a baby or <laughs> like, there's always something. There's always a challenge. You have to get back to a place of believing in yourself and putting in the time. And that's really what it always boils down to, right? Right. That's exactly right. Those two things. So what's next for you, Chris? I'm going to keep continuing to do what I do. I love this community and I love being here. Even when I had to move right after COVID in 2020, I knew for whatever reason that I'd be back. Two plus years to get back. But I like to call it just a short vacation. It was a short vacation away. But now I'm back full time and more passionate than ever to continue to do what I do and help businesses. I mean, in that I've struggled so much over the years with my own business that it gives me gratification in knowing that what I'm doing for other businesses is helping them move forward, helping them live their passion and grow their business. When then by helping them grow their business, they're able to help the community as well. So I feel like it's not just about making pretty films and making things that people are going to think, oh, that was fun to watch. But in the end, it's to help that business succeed. And by helping the business succeed, you're in turn then also helping your community thrive and grow. Thank you so much. And thanks for joining us today and sharing all of your story, your inspiration. Absolutely. Loved it. Thank you, Steph. And thank you for listening. If you liked it, tell your friends, follow us on Instagram or LinkedIn. The mission of MVP Business is to dig deep into the lives of true leaders so that others can follow, knowing that the path isn't always easy, but the journey is worth it. So enjoy the day and live with passion.